2 Peter 3, again verse 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. As we ended our message last week, our view of the events that were taking place were focused upon Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and especially upon the throne of God with with all of those many angels and living creatures that were gathered around the throne ministering to God the Father. And there in God's hand was this great scroll, And that scroll had seven seals. And there was much weeping that was taking place there in the heavens saying, who is worthy to open this scroll? And after much weeping and grieving, uh, it was determined that there was only one person in all of heaven and earth that was worthy to open the scroll and to bring about the final judgment upon the earth. And that person was the Lord Jesus. And as Jesus then took that scroll and began to open the seals, that's where we stopped last week. And there it is that we recognize that God has chosen for the mysteries that are here in the book of Revelation to not be in chronological order according to their chapters. In other words, there are events that are given in later chapters that take place prior to the opening of these seven seals. And so for that reason, I want us to move to some later chapters and then we will return to the opening of the seals in a later message. You'll recall that just before we began to study chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, our focus was upon the church. The church. I'd like for us to go back to that today when we use the word church most often our thoughts go to all the many congregations of Christians that gather each Sunday to worship the Lord and that would be a right understanding but also as we know throughout the centuries since the disciples began establishing congregations like ours the church has grown and spread throughout the whole earth into a great body of believers that we call the body of Christ. And by their presence, listen, by their presence and by their witness, this great body of Christian believers have been able to impact and to bless most everyone that they touch. And that's significant as we begin to consider these last days because they have been blessing and impacting everyone that they touch, their families, their neighborhoods, their workplaces, and on and on. And that is why, as all of the believing Christians are then suddenly raptured off the earth, their loss, their loss to the rest of the people who remain will be devastating, beyond comprehension. Think about it. In only a moment, without warning or notice, in the twinkling of an eye, every Christian on the face of the earth will suddenly be gone. Some perhaps while they sleep. Others as they work. 
some others in mid-stride of a walk or in mid-sentence of a conversation. Suddenly they're gone. Those words from 1 Thessalonians 4 again. Verse 16, The Lord Himself will descend from the heavens with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And then as Jesus also said in Matthew 24, it will be where two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. In that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, families will be decimated. A husband or a wife raptured away, but the other one left behind. Friends and family members suddenly missing. Others left behind. What a crushing blow that will be to each of those who suddenly realize what has taken place right before their eyes. Think about it. Consider also that when the rapture takes place, every form of goodness and righteousness on the earth will immediately be gone. Why do I say that? It's because it is the Holy Spirit who brings us all of the many forms of goodness and righteousness. It is only in the Holy Spirit that we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. And as the presence of the Holy Spirit who indwells all of those believers that are raptured away, as His presence is gone up with them to be with Jesus, there will be no form of righteousness, goodness, or any of those other attributes of the Holy Spirit. None left on the earth. There will be no love. There will be no compassion. There will be no pity, no kindness, no goodness, no patience, no sympathy, no honesty. Leaving only unbelievers and their man-made forms of goodness to remain and to carry out all the daily activities of life on the earth. And yes, it can be argued that those who are left behind were also created in the image of God and therefore would have some measure of goodness remaining in them. And perhaps so. But then, we have only to read these scriptures that we have here in front of us to truly understand about those people who are left behind. Listen to these words of Romans 3. This is the condition of every unbeliever. This is the condition that you and I were in before we received Christ as our Savior. This is the condition for that everyone is in before they receive Christ. So without Christ, Romans 3 verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous... No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. That is the truth that's given to us about every unbeliever. And then if you add to that what the Lord says in 2 Timothy 3, we've read this before, 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days, in those days after the rapture takes place, it's also beginning even now, but it'll especially be true after the rapture, but understand this, that in the last days, There will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Does that sound like people who will be able to carry on after the rapture? Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. So then, as the rapture takes place and you and I are rising into the clouds to be with Jesus, these are the ones, these are the ones who will be left to carry on and to run this world. Think about that. People who are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, and on and on. Those are the ones that are going to be left to run this world. Remember also, as we studied in an earlier message, before the rapture takes place, the world will have already, and that's taking place right now, the world will have already been doing all these beginning signs of the last days that are spoken about in the Gospels. World leaders who are under this the control of strong demons will have been putting themselves into positions in the various nations forming alliances with other demonic leaders. And again, we can so easily see that that's taking place right now during these days. Russia aligning itself with Syria and Iran. The United States aligning itself with Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Jordan. And then all these other Muslim countries over there, Afghanistan and Pakistan, they all clearly, all of this is clearly prophesied about in the books of Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation. And then with them putting themselves into these positions of leadership, After the rapture takes place, those alliances then will start to take on much stronger shapes and much more violently so. All that I'm saying is prophesied here in these different books of Scripture. Here in America, you can imagine what the effect will be as Christians are suddenly removed from their families, from their friendships, from workplaces, Think for a moment about your own family. Will you have a loved one, a son or a daughter, grandchildren or others, loved ones that are left behind? Think about that. What an awful thought because life is going to get very, very difficult and painful after the rapture. Think about in your workplace. Suddenly you and the other Christians who work with you will not be there anymore. 
Think about the people who are around you in your work environment. And because those who are left behind won't know how to do your work, the whole work process will most likely and very quickly grind to a halt. Offices will just shut down. Factory lines will stop. Christian policemen will be gone. Christian firemen and Christian bankers and school teachers and doctors and nurses and Christian store workers and and Christian food cannery factory workers on the lines, electric power company workers, car repair, all those Christians will be gone. Now, may I be so bold as to say that those Christian workers who have just been raptured away really are generally the best quality workers. Workers with integrity, workers who care. And as they are raptured away, leaving less caring, less committed workers. Why would I say that? Again, these words. Those who are left behind will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient. This is what the Lord is saying. This is not me being critical. This is what the Lord is saying. They'll be lovers of self, without self-control, not loving good, abusive, arrogant. Those kinds of personalities do not make for good, caring workers. That's what's going to happen to the place that you work. The people around town that you will go to shop in their stores. Does that sound like I'm being too condemning of them? I don't mean it to be. I'm simply saying what the scriptures are saying. The world as we know it today, especially here in America, will be devastated. Workplaces and the general society that we live in will be in a disarray. And as they do even now, the people of America will then be crying out for the government to help them. For the government leadership to come and save them. Do you recall the crying out after Hurricane Katrina? People standing where they are there in the city of New Orleans crying out, someone come help us. And who was it? The government. Did they do a good job? Not according to their critics. But they're all just crying out, somebody come and help me. Somebody come and save me. Save us from these food shortages and water shortages. And there are no good policemen to come and help us when we're being mistreated or robbed and from the chaos and violence. Save us from this, all these riots that are taking place all around us because they're going to get really real. Because if you consider even today in these present days for these frivolous reasons that we have, they don't like who got elected as president. And so they're in the street rioting and destroying property and doing all sorts of things wrong. What will take place? What will take place when real problems, when real shortages take place in the end times? When they do not have any food to eat? That water that comes into our house comes through devices that need to be maintained. And if they're not maintained, you will not have water in your house. And you do not have a well to go and draw from. Now our nation's leaders in those days will probably come up with some real clever solutions. But listen, as the shortages 
become greater and greater and the violence increases more and more in the streets, their great ideas will fade. And that will be when then these more stronger demonically controlled leaders will begin to emerge. Leaders who will not hesitate to be more and more violent. Am I painting a difficult picture for us? It's going to be worse than what I'm saying. And remember also that while much is taking place here within this visible realm of men, this realm that you and I can see, there's so much more taking place in that invisible realm, in that place called the heavenlies that we studied about in the book of Ephesians, that place where demonic principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness live. And in Revelation chapter 13, we read how those strong demons will begin to rise to power and to wreak the worst of their havoc upon the people of the earth. I want to read this chapter again for us. I read it last week, but I want to read it again because this particular chapter is has within it foundational keys to all that's going to take place during this tribulation. So let me read again for us the words of Revelation chapter 13. And I'm reading from the from the New King James Version. Verse 1 of chapter 13 of Revelation. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. This is the Apostle John. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and on his horns ten crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, gave him his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme God's name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now these will be saints that come to know Christ after the rapture. These are people who will turn their hearts to Christ. It was granted to him to make war against those saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. See how the powerful leaders of the world are now exercising their authority. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Later on now, we're going to talk about the judgment. And there will be books that will have the names of those who have given their hearts to Christ and those who haven't. These will be the ones whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. 
Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven onto the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as who would worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. This is what's taking place. Much of it is not visible to us, but it is taking place, and it is interacting with this visible realm that we're in. And this is the demonic plan of the mark of the beast that we've heard so much about all through the many years as it begins to take place. Money will have no value in those last days. The only currency that will be usable will be this mark of the beast. This 666 on a person's hand or forehead. Now Bible scholars of today do debate as to whether or not there will be an actual number a mark on a person. And it doesn't really matter how it is actually forced upon people. If it accomplishes what those demonic leaders want it to accomplish. Simply put, if you have the mark of the beast, you can buy food. You can go to the doctor. You can buy gasoline for your car. But if you do not have that mark you'll be refused those services and those provisions. Now yes, at first, in my imagination at least, many people will be reluctant to take that mark. But as those weeks and months pass, and as the necessities of life get in such short supply, and starvation and poverty and destitution start to be on the rise, as violence starts to take place on your street, that's when people will begin to do whatever it takes to survive. And unfortunately, that's when they slowly but surely will fall into the line to take the mark. What does it mean for the person who agrees to take the mark of the beast? Does it mean that they will simply join together with a group like them in order to survive? That's what they might think. That's what they might wish would be what they're doing. But folks, that is not what they'll be doing. It means that each person that takes the mark of the beast 
they will be giving themselves over to this absolute demonic control to be under complete submission to the evilest of evil beings. Beings that are so much far worse than our worst politician, our worst criminals, our worst murderers, our worst serial killers, child molesters, evil beyond imagination. But not only that, listen, those who take the mark will themselves become completely possessed and will then begin to do the very same things that those demons do, those same violent things, obeying the demons that live within them. And yes, no doubt, violence throughout the world will increase dramatically. And as we read in here, nations fighting against and conquering other nations. Why would that be so? It's because with man becoming as evil as the demons who possess them, they'll know nothing else other than evil. And it'll be their natural way of thinking and behaving. And that's when the strongest of the demons will begin to put things into a much more workable order. That's when these strong demons that we just read about here in chapter 13 of Revelations, spoken of as being the beasts and the dragons, they'll begin to rise to their worldwide power. They'll be doing things that will be beyond your and my imagination right now. I believe I'll stop right there because next week I want us to talk about this beast and the dragon and what they're going to look like in those last days. Let me close with these words. Revelation 13, beginning in verse 16. He, that is the beast, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's the wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Let's pray.